welcome back to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. On this week's episode, we have Rick Bell back on from Cincinnati Watch Co. And he has a special announcement regarding one of his watches and the Cincinnati Museum Center's COVID relief fund. After that, we talk about the brand new Seiko releases that happened this past week. And then we get into Rick's pursuit for the perfect Grand Seiko collection. As usual, Rick was amazing to talk to, and this was another good episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Well, welcome everybody to episode 26 of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. And we have our first return guest, if you don't count Buzz, and we haven't really counted Buzz as a guest for quite some time now. Uh, Rick from Cincinnati Watch Company is back. So welcome back, Rick. Hello, excited to be back again. Uh, thanks for coming on again. Uh, well, you know, you know how we all kind of usually start. And I, I, you know, I think we'll start with your wrist check and I think we'll probably dive into some other stuff right there. So Rick, what do you have on one of your wrists? So tonight on one of my wrists is the Cincinnati Watch Company Union Terminal Watch limited edition uh, that sold out several years ago. And um, watch that I don't wear often. This is one that, you know, which just so unique, especially mine. Uh, mine is particularly unique because I, I have a dial in it that we never made. But um, also it's just a watch, especially locally, that's been pretty desired. Um, I've had some some people offer me a lot more than it's worth to buy, to make another one for them. And um, the thing I have tonight to announce, which is something different, we have one left. Uh, we actually have one of the original limited edition Uni Union Terminal watches left. And, you know, I held on to this piece, you know, figuring someday there would be some good use for for this last remaining piece and um that good use is uh now so um we donated it to the cincinnati museum center and union terminal and that is because uh due to covid uh union terminals uh you know had some significant financial losses so uh just since it started till now due to closures you know a lot of the revenue comes from you know, ticket sales, concession sales, classes that they put on, they've already lost three and a half million dollars. They wow. project an eight million dollar loss for fiscal year 2021. So Union Terminal has definitely seen a drop in the revenue. And it's certainly an organization we support and have supported with the watch. So we donated it to them. And if my understanding is correct, this, uh, this podcast is going to go live on the 21st. Uh, if you donate to the Union Terminals COVID Relief Fund between July 22nd and August 13th, if you donate $50 or more, you're automatically entered to win the last uh, brand new squeaky clean and regulated by me Union Terminal watch in existence. Um, so I'm going to be making a donation just because I know I could put it on eBay and make a ton of money. So I hope I win. But uh, I wish <laughs> I wish everybody else, uh, the, the, you know, I hope that uh, other people would uh, would consider the donation as well, because, you know, it goes to a good cause and they're they're definitely hurting right now. And I don't see that hurting ending for quite some time, you know, given current circumstances. So that is special announcement one and why I'm wearing the Union Terminal Watch this evening. So. 
so for those who are listening who may be interested, you guys have a, a day head start technically, not that the link is live by any means, uh, but check the uh, once once we get to at this point, if you're listening to this and it's Tuesday at this point tomorrow, which would be Wednesday, even though it's not either of those days right now, um, we will update the show notes with a link uh, to donate. Um, I know you can check Rick's website to find that information. Uh, if you're on their mailing list or emailing list, they'll be sending out information about that. Um, and actually for any of our listeners who aren't in the greater Cincinnati area and don't know what Union Terminal is, Rick, why don't you describe the Union Terminal watch and what makes it so unique? Yeah, so, um, and and just to, to, you know, go along with that point, if you go to CincinnatiWatch.com and then, um, you know, we'll have our watches listed. If you go to the Union Terminal Watch, right on the Union Terminal Watch page, we'll page will be a link to the COVID relief fund. Um, I would say it now, but the link is too long and complicated for me to bother announcing <laughs> it on air. Um, but yeah, so Union Terminal, you know, if, if you're not from Cincinnati, I would say the one way that most people, well, at least most people of a certain age would know the Union Terminal is from Hanna-Barbera's um, Super Friends cartoon. So the Union Terminal was the basis for the Hall of Justice in the Super Friends cartoon. So it, it kind of it kind of became an icon in popular culture around you know the U.S. and I don't know maybe globe. I don't know if Superman you know the Super Friends cartoon was played in other countries, but I know at least at least around the U.S. If you watch that show, the Hall of Justice, it, it looks nearly identical to the Union Terminal. That's because the the I, and I don't, I don't know the, the, the name of the cartoonist or whoever made that decision, but he did, in fact, base it off the Union Terminal. But above that, it's, it, it's an Art Deco uh, train station that was built in 1933, um, probably one of the last great train stations built and, and maybe possibly built a little too late because it, it, it wasn't long, you know, it, 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 it had rocky years. Um, but it is the second largest half dome structure in the Western hemisphere, uh, hemispheres. Wow. Uh, so a lot of people even here locally might not realize that only the Sydney opera house is larger. So on, on, uh, so it is, you know, you walk into this, you, you see a, a, a massive big rotunda with, with, uh, mosaics done in, in 1933 by the Ravenna tile company. There's, uh, in New York supplied them. I, Forget the name of the artist that did them, but uh, you know the just beautiful mosaics. Um, the building ultimately, you know, as air travel and other travel expanded, the building went to disrepair. It spent some time in the '80s being a mall, a very short time, <laughs> a failed mall. Um, sat vacant for quite a while, and then ultimately was converted to the Cincinnati Museum Center, which is what most people know it for now here locally, which is just a, you know, a wonderful museum as a children's museum, natural history museum, a Cincinnati history museum. Um, and it, it went along, it's been, it's been that way for quite some time. I believe that was the late nineties. I mean, it, don't ask me on all these dates and all this stuff, but, um, in around 2017, the city of Cincinnati passed a big levy to rehab it because um, there were some areas that were in disrepair. So a, a ton of money was levied uh, and the city of Cincinnati voted for it. So the taxpayers here voted for these repairs. 
and that was a really opportune time for me to launch the Union Terminal watch uh, that benefited the Museum Center. Um, so the watch itself is based on the clock at Union Terminal, which is, I don't even know I, how I could possibly describe it by you just really talk, talking right. about it. You yeah. know, I mean, like, <laughs> I think I think what you ought to do is go to, you know, go, go to our Instagram or go to our Facebook or go to our website, and you'll get to see see the dial design and the, the, and the hands, um, you know, the design of the, the watch is really strongly influenced by that clock. Um, just an art deco masterpiece that building is so i mean you know if you're if you're an out-of-town listener i mean one of the coolest places you can go come and visit here in cincinnati is union terminal absolutely hands down it's one of the coolest pieces of architecture we have oh definitely and the and the the watch does look it's a spitting image of the clock and they're both so unique beautiful mm -hmm. like it's it it's such a unique watch i mean it'd be a it's a fantastic I want to call it a dress watch because I mean I think it's that's kind of where it leans to, but it's it's a little bit it, I don't want to say it's flashy, but it's definitely the it, it definitely has some unique design elements and it's absolutely gorgeous. Like it's just it's such a cool piece. Thank you. Yeah. No. It, I mean it was it was a really it was a challenging design to do because the the clock is so complex in its look. I mean you have multiple layers. Um, you know you you have a lot of elements of that clock was that was backlit by. Um, lighting so the indices on the actual clock have um you know kind of a red glass and there was lights behind them um it and you know when i was thinking about the dial design it was kind of like how how am i going to represent it in a very recognizable way but make it make it doable you know um and, and, and even after going through that process still the hands and dial set on this watch cost more than the movement cost more than the case and the sapphire. This was a very complicated dial and handset for me to make um, relative to the watch, you know, which pre-ordered for something like $400 and retailed for 500. But it, you know, really a lot of that expense went into the dial and hands because they were just something utterly custom. Um, I encourage people if they haven't seen it to go to our website and have a look at it because it is kind of a, kind of a unique watch. Well, and speaking of your website, while they're there, they could probably check out pictures of a couple of other lines you got you have you guys have that are hopefully <laughs> coming soon. I know the last time we were on here, it was right as you had gotten the first set of prototypes for your divers edition, and mm -hmm. since then you've announced some new colorways to the field watch. So why don't we talk about those two lines here real quick? Yeah, so quickly we can go over it. So yeah, the, with the dive watch, um, you know, you're not you're not actually going to see it on the website right now. Um, you're you're going to see it on our Instagram account. You're going to see it on our Facebook account. Um, there there was some changes I wanted to make to the bezel. A minor detail about you know just finishing on the bracelet. Um, there really wasn't a big deal. Just polish versus brush on the sides. Um, but really, the the bezel was the big deal. Uh, I, Things were kind of delayed in terms of the delivery of that, but I'm expecting that very soon. So the the, the dive watch is coming. Um, I, I'm not going to say a day, but it's very imminent. Uh, and then in terms of the um, you know the field watch, we're really kind of calling it a version two because it's you know we we are putting some new colorways into that with the, the kind of a military green, a very different, unique blue color. Uh, to the dial and then, you know, the original black, but we, we've kind of made some changes surrounding the crown. It's a larger crown. We've closed up the case back. 
um, the original version of the Cincinnati's Field Watch had a kind of a hard to get NH-71 movement. Uh, took me over a year to get those in. Didn't want to make that wait again. So we went with an NH-38, which is still a no date. You know, you don't have a, go date, a ghost date position, fit the watch. Um, so we, we moved to that one and just kind of closed the case back. So not a very pretty movement to look at, just kind of your bomb basic 4R series type of Seiko movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I think it lends to the, you know, durability of a field watch, have a steel steel case back. So that watch also will be launching eminently. Uh, one of the key changes there was we added a steel brace that was before it came with a NATO and a canvas strap. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that both watches as all our watches, which is kind of a, a key thing for our company, which that we're supporting nonprofits. So, you know, with the dive watch, we're supporting the dive pirates foundation with the Cincinnati's field watch. We're supporting the free store food bank. Um, at the end of the day, uh, to me, these things are surplus to requirement. These things that people, <laughs> they're not people, but us watch nerds specifically get so excited about, you know, I, I to me, because this is, you know, this, this is a passion for me. I, I just felt like the things should do some good along with them. So, you know, continuing with that commitment, we definitely are going to be donating uh, to those organizations with those pieces as well when they do launch. But, you know, I'm not going to put a date on, on both of those pieces. I can't right now, but uh, very soon is all I can say. And I have more coming. So the next two months specifically is going to be pretty interesting for Cincinnati Watch Company. You might be our first three-peat guest then. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, I mean, the, we, you know, we, Spangler and I both got a chance to try on your first prototypes of the Diver's Edition. And I mean, we both really liked that one. And, and the changes that you're making made sense based on, on what, you know, what we saw. Um, you know, I, th- I think especially the bracelet, you know, just the little change you made on that. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, and then the bezel, I'm going to miss the fully graduated bezel, but I get, I get the, you know, why it works better the other way. Really excited for that. One. I mean, the blue one with the orange uh, triangle around the pip is just fantastic. A little nod to FC Cincinnati uh, mm-hmm. team, which it's fantastic. And then the, the, the two new colorways on the field watch, I am kind of drawn back to the blue again. I mean, I feel weird that I'm thinking like maybe I'll be buying two blue watches from Rick. <laughs> what you did with the blue dial on that field, it, like it just, it's really cool. Like it, it's got, a, the dial has a little bit of a texture. It's just, it's different and unique and not something you see every day. The green looks fantastic as well. And then obviously, you know, the black dial field watches is a classic look, but I mean, it, they all look really, really neat. And you have kind of your own like, design language now that, that flows through a lot of your pieces. And it, it, I'm really excited to see when those come out. Cause they're, uh, they're on the list. They're definitely, uh, and it's supporting two good causes, one here locally, you know, one down in Florida with the dive pirates. Um, mm-hmm. cause you're right. You don't want to, we talked about it before. You don't want to get in the Ohio. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah. Uh, the, the dive watch was really hard and you know, that, that's, that brings up a good point. I mean, typically we're going to try to support some kind of local organization or regional organization, but you know, that, that comes down to the watch for the most part, you know, we theme or at least somehow correlate the watch with, with what we're, you know, the design and just the intent with it, with the organization we're trying to support and, Sometimes that's one for one, you know, obvious with Union Terminal, um, and in other cases, a little bit 
looser in association, but still there. Um, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm excited for both. I'm excited for that blue one too. I think actually, and I, I've said jokingly, that blue version of the field watch, I've wanted to call it my uh, West Coast blue. I think we <laughs> might actually call it that because it is just kind of a usual color for a field watch. Um, and I'm really excited for the steel bracelet. The initial version didn't have a steel bracelet and we're gonna be including a, um, a steel bracelet with screw and links on, uh, on the new model. Um, so it's going to be a very affordably priced field watch with a nice, reliable Seiko movement that's with a sapphire crystal and a screw down crown and 100 meter or 100 meters water resistance. It's just going to be a great kind of everyday beat around watch that you can, you know, you can enjoy and run around outside with and, and feel pretty good that you have something that's going to be up to the task. That's great. No, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, when those go live. Um, you know, hopefully, I don't say I'll have any inside scoop by any means, but if, <laughs> if I forget, I know Rick's going to be DMing me saying, hey, they went live. I didn't see your order yet because he knows. Um, you'll be, you'll be the first anyway. that I contact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've only been hassling about you, hassling you about it for like two months now. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, well, I mean, that's there's some exciting stuff coming, but it looks like you're double wristing, Rick. What, what we got? I think I think the other portion yeah. of the podcast. I think we we may be in cahoots. We might have another kind of topic that we're going to go with. So, what's on your other wrist? Yeah, so uh, we've got a Grand Seiko uh, SBGV two four three, and I actually had to look on a piece of paper for that because I forget a lot of the Grand Seiko reference numbers. <laughs> but it is a nine F quartz model that uh, has uh, been in my mind for quite some time and quite elusive to find. And I am very excited to have this in on my wrist, finally, after a lot of searching. That's kind of their version of a field watch, right? Well, I don't know. It's in their sport line. It's a screw down crown. It's 200 meters water resistance. I I don't know how you describe this thing. Um, I don't know if you call it a field watch. I don't know if, I mean... It's, it's definitely just, a sport watch. It's sport, right. that's for sure. And and, yep. and I, I agree with that. It has a very aggressive, in my opinion, one of the most unique K-shapes that Grand Seiko is offering currently, at least different along the rest of their line. Absolutely. So that that's that's kind of the other topic we'll get into here in a second. But Rick, what are you drinking? Uh, so tonight is Four Roses, which is... Looks like Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, single barrel whiskey is given to me as a gift. I've never had it, and it's you know pretty good stuff. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of that. I, I think all of us have probably had that one by now. Oh, I, yeah. I missed the distillery tour when my wife and I were driving around. We tried to hit a couple of them, and this is pre-kids. Uh, <laughs> the last tour had just left by the time we pulled in, so we missed that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it is what it is, but good stuff. Mm -hmm. All right, Spangler, what have you got? Well, I'm uh, rocking my Grand Seiko SBGK005 tonight. Um, and like Rick, I also really love the case shape of this watch. Um, it's it's awesome. It's in their heritage line. Not heritage line, I mean their elegance line. So it's deemed as a dress watch, but I definitely wear it more in the sporty aspect of things. Um and what I'm drinking is um, I'm taking a break from the whiskey this week, and I've got my Rheingeist uh, Cloud Harvest Number Dose. Um, and it's, it's actually really good. Um, yeah, it's 
a lot better than I normally would think it'd be because I know some of us on the podcast are fans of truth, but I actually despise that beverage. Um, so I've never really thought, <laughs> thought highly of Ryan Geist when it came to the IPAs, but this one's uh, changing my mind a little bit. <laughs> That's Well, Buzzy, it sounds like he's calling you out a little bit. So, Buzzy, what have you got? <laughs> I've never been more disappointed in my co-host. Yeah. Uh, so I have uh, – I've got the Founders All Day IPA going. That's right. The Costco Whiskey of Beers. Delicious, nutritious, <laughs> 15 rack. Absolutely. That's the only way to go. Um, funny enough, I have some truth in my fridge also, but the All Days were just <laughs> calling to me. All right. But on the rest. Are they at least 91 points on the on the Beverage Tasting Institute? They get a 91 points at the, the Buzz Beverage Tasting Institute. It's a highly scientific, <laughs> rigorous, buzz rigorous tasting activity <laughs> where I drink something, I kind of say yay or nay, and then I make up a number. If you want like tasting notes, guess what? You're not going to get them. I don't really have that capability of like tasting something, whether it's a beverage or whether it's a meal and describing it with words. I just, eh, I like it. Tastes good. Yeah. You describe it with sounds, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Kind of do the whole uh, emperor thing from uh, gladiator, right? Whether you pop the thumb up or down. (laughs) All right, I'm What's a risk. risk. Okay, <laughs> you're you're gonna you're gonna catch. There's a theme going on tonight's episode. SKX 009. You know, I I prefer drinking diet cokes, but given the choice, I will always wear a Pepsi bezel. You know that you know this watch. You got short <laughs> lug lengths, great womb. stock bracelets on, boys. Mister Jingle Jangle. That that's me. Uh, Evan hasn't set up his Jubilee Appreciation Day on Instagram yet, but uh, I decided to keep it on the Jubilee (laughs) just so I could be ready. That's coming, don't worry. All right. (laughs) I I don't know why Seiko stamped their name on the foldover clasp because the clasp is straight garbage, and I would uh, completely disavow (laughs) that I had anything to do with it. Other than that, I adore the watch. And my chapter ring is aligned. So what do you think about that? Pretty cool, right? All right. That's how you know it's real. Spence. <laughs> <laughs> the misaligned chapter ring is how you know it's a real Seiko SKX. I know. I know. If they're lined up, you know it's fake. <laughs> I hear that's a hot market these days, the, uh, the fake SKX world. Yeah. Hard to get. They're not making them. Yeah, they're hard to get. <laughs> Uh, so i'm gonna uh, before i get into my wrist check i'm gonna 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 let everybody know a little bit of a conspiracy uh that that i may have uncovered so we also shop at costco and my wife she doesn't drink nearly as much whiskey as i do but she's a fan of of wine and she got some kirkland signature malbec which she really liked and i had i'm not a big wine drinker but it was tasty um, and then I looked at the bottle and I noticed something. The Kirkland Signature Malbec 
was rated a 91 by the Beverage Tasting Institute. <laughs> Same score as a Canadian whiskey. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Not saying anything. I'm just saying something here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, Does Costco own the Beverage Tasting Institute? It might. I don't know. We still haven't seen that scale. Yeah, who, Maybe I'm who would think it. that? Um, so in case anybody is venturing to guess what I have on my wrist. I'm on like my third watch of the day, which I change watches on occasion, but not that often. Um, earlier today I had on, we were doing some yard work. So I had on my Seiko Samurai, the uh, orange one that has made its made an appearance on Instagram several times. It's the one that I like to wear out when I'm not wearing a G shock out in the yard. Um, then actually uh, our one listener who hasn't been a guest on the podcast yet, uh, our buddy motor John 68 uh, came over briefly to do kind of like a mini red bar meetup in our driveway. Um, so I had on a couple of his watches. Um, he has a, a Rolex turnograph and a, uh, he had a, our other buddies uh, Explorer one thirty six millimeter, which I made Buzzy very jealous with. Um, and yep. he came over to try on the, uh, the Submariner that I have because he's thinking about thinking about one of those. Um, that being said, speaking of the Rolex turnograph, I changed my watch to record and I now have on my Seiko SARX 069, uh, which I have dubbed the Seiko turnograph. It's the champagne dial version, uh, the presage uh, turnograph, which is really supposed to look like the monopusher chronograph that came out in, I want to say, well, it's limited edition of 1964. So my guess is that's when the monopusher chronograph came out was in 1964. Um, <laughs> absolutely love this watch. It's got a bunch of craziness going on on the dial. It all seems to work. It's got two different, it's got the Dauphine hands. It's got the loom plots. It's got markers that are elevated and faceted. It's got the friction bezel. That's a solid piece of, I think, aluminum or black coated steel. I don't know. It's just, it's got a lot going on and I absolutely love it. It's just, it's, it just, it nails the, the only thing it's really missing is that pusher at, uh, at two o'clock for the chronograph function. It's just, absolutely love this piece but in case anybody hasn't figured it out yet we're here to talk seikos with rick <laughs> <laughs> which which i probably ought to uh, add a footnote to that so it, you know i don't know i must be breaking some kind of like watch brand owner role or something here talking about other brands <laughs> than my own but but really if you're a micro brand owner you 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 kind of if you're not a watch enthusiast, I don't know what kind of microbrand watch owner you are. And, you know, I mean, I put so much work into this, you know, and <laughs> you have to have a severe, um, nearly dangerous love of watches before you start a microbrand up and start selling them and designing them. So <laughs> Seiko is definitely of, uh, has been of interest of me forever. And, you know, it's a starting point for a lot of people. Um, and they're an interesting brand in the sense that they've got something in every price range for everybody from, from the entryest entry level to, you know, world-class stuff, which is why I love them so much mm -hmm. and all in-house, which is another just amazing feat. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it, something that's unique relative to other brands out there in the watch industry. So you talked about your Grand Seiko a little bit. Why don't you talk about the other new addition to your watch stable, if you will, Rick? And then we'll we'll go because you know Spangler and I were down at Richter and Phillips earlier today. We saw a different colorway of the one that you picked up, mm -hmm. among other watches. So we'll get into 
this is going to be pretty Seiko dive watch heavy, but also other Seiko heavy. I mean, they've come out with a lot of really cool stuff recently. Um, but the first of which we'll talk about is the one that Rick also recent, recently picked up. So why don't we, uh, why don't we get into that, Rick? Yeah. So I don't have three arms, but I have another one sitting here and that is the SPB 147, which is, I don't know when they announced that what was like three or four months ago, something, something along like those that, lines. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I called Richter pretty much right away as soon as I saw this brown and gilt version one because um, it just immediately connected with me. Um, but, you know, the it really what it would have mostly because, you know, the, the press release, uh, like kind of drawings of them that they, they, they didn't they didn't do it justice at all yeah, no, from, right. my, from my from my perspective. Um, but but just dimensionality was what interested me because like here's Seiko releasing kind of a mid range diver that's actually wearable for my smaller wrist. You know, I mean, 40 and a half millimeter, they say something like 47.5 or six lug to lug. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, I had the SBDC 061, which uh, was 44 millimeters and I liked it. It was a great watch. Uh, just, it's just a little, little, little too big for me. So I kind of sold it. And I was like, you know what, if Seiko is going to come out with a mid range diver, that's in a wearable range and they, they just haven't been doing that, uh, very often these days. It's like, I got to get it. Um, and I'm very glad that I did because from my opinion and others here may differ, this is one of the best modern mid range Seiko divers that I think I've ever experienced. Uh, I am really pretty smitten with this, with this watch. They, they, they really, I, I, I posted today on my um, personal Insta that Seiko got me right in the feelings with this one. And then they, they did it right. <laughs> um, this is exactly, in my mind, as a Seiko enthusiast, precisely exactly what I've been looking for them to put out for quite some time. You know, having been through so many... Seikos that don't fit my wrist. I really just wanted to love them, but they're just like too big, <laughs> too thick. And just like, ah, oh, I can't wear it. I'd love it if I had bigger wrists. Um, this one finally has hit the exact correct mark and also just has that vintage 62 Moss feel to it that I think they, they, they did pretty well that I love the thing. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely happy I got that one. Oh, I mean, it's it's a great piece. We were Spangler and I were down there today, and they had the gray dialed version on a bracelet, mm -hmm. which I wanted to see in person because I don't want to say it almost had like the the way the lugs integrate into the case. It's it's unique compared to how other dive watches can that they have kind of do it. It's there's almost like that kind of straight line and kind of a curved lug that goes in, and I wanted to see that in person. The bracelets on the bracelet versions are a lot better than, you know, your run-of-the-mill Seiko diver. But, you know, for the price point, that makes sense. They've done a much better job with the bracelet and the clasp this time. I liked the gray one a lot. I really wish they had had in the limited edition, the blue one with the gold matte seconds hand that Zach was wearing last week. I really, like, to me, that is the, like, if I was going to pull the trigger on one of those, it was going to be that one. The gray one was beautiful, but it... In a weird way, it reminded me a little bit too much of a Rolex Submariner, just a little bit too much. It's like, I really like this watch. It's beautiful. Then I'm like, it looks a lot like, not that it is, I mean, it looks, you're right. It looks, it's a spitting image of the 62 Moss. It's a great re-edition of that. 
they nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. It's just it. I want to see the blue one because like, if I was going to pull a trigger on one of those, like to me, the blue is kind of where it's at. That's just a very deep slate blue. I really want to see what that looks like in person. Mm -hmm. No, I haven't seen it in person either. It looks, looks, looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, brown. I'll, I'll agree with you, Rick. I, I like the brown the best of the three. Um, I would like to see the blue, like you said, Spence. Uh, but the brown, and you know, I don't, I don't need to brag, but you know, I did try it on first. And we've talked about yeah. this. Before. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. You touched my watch I, I know, uh, right? before I got it, so you know, I got an appropriate discount for that. Yes, my my COVID filled hands, all of your watch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when I when I handled it, the sunburst effect on that brown dial was fantastic, and I'm a big fan of gilt, obviously, and you know, just everything about that just goes and flows together seamlessly. They got the design of that watch perfect, I think. Yeah, it's 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 been weird for me because you know I've worn so many Seiko divers over the years. And I'm used to pulling up, pulling on my wrists and staring back at something that's hanging over the edges and just kind of being like, Ugh. and now when I look at it, I'm kind of I'm like surprised at what's staring back at me just yeah. because of the dimensionality of this watch. And I think the warmth of it with the gold and the brown, I, I wouldn't call the, the bezel markings gold. They're, I, I don't even know what you'd call this color. It kind of looks like gold. It, it's, it's a little bit different. Um, it's just a great watch. Uh, really practical. They have their Dia Shield case hardening on it, which I've had other models with that hardening material, and they kind of hold up really well. I, I guess the one drawback is they kind of they kind of mutes the steel. I don't know if you've noticed that. That's the steel kind of looks. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't have the same vibrance. But uh, I'll take that sacrifice for durability. I mean, this is a watch that you know. I can reasonably wear every day and not feel like I'm carrying Fort Knox or anything around with me and, you know, be fine with banging it around. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of new, very good looking Seikos, they also came out with a couple other ones that uh, were uh, reminiscent of the uh, limited edition uh, SLA 013 uh, from last year. Uh, but I guess they're affectionately known as the mini Willard watches this time around. Um, and, you know, after trying those watches on, I, I'm smitten by the green dial. Uh, I'm currently next on that wait list, which I can't believe I'm on a wait list for a Seiko. Um, but it's a crazy <laughs> world we're looking. The horror. Um, the horror. The horror. I know. I know right? uh, but, yeah, I mean, though, when it comes to those watches, I, I think they're fantastic. Uh, I love the original Willard. Uh, I hated the price like most other people. Um, but when I tried those ones on, I mean, they, they feel just like it, um, but w they're more in line with the price range, which is what I really like. And the movement inside is also really good. Um, so, I mean, I don't really have any complaints about those watches. I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm in love with those ones. So, yeah, I mean, when I was at, at uh, Richter, I um, put on the green one just so I could touch yours, too. Uh, first, uh, um, somebody else has watched that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was actually in there. They were telling me who bought it, and uh, the guy came in with an all gold AP chrono, uh, and one of the brace that resized for something in there, and then ended up getting the watch as well. So, oh man, he's, well, yeah. I, spo I spoiled his for you know, for him first, but yeah, that green one is was amazing. The green color is great. Um, uh, you know, it just felt a little too 
big for me, but not not really. I mean, it was okay yeah. in terms of the the size. I mean, I could get away with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing how spitting image it is to SLA zero three three, which was you know what four grand. I mean, the black version of that watch yeah. looks pretty close. There's some the other differences because yeah. I tried them both on today, but the the new version is slightly smaller, a little bit more wearable. The bracelet is very similar to the one on the the new 62 Moss. Like it's very like very similar. I think the clasp is pretty much identical. I, I liked it quite a bit. Buzzy, what are your thoughts on on these new ones? Uh, my thoughts are I'm really glad that I didn't buy their immediate predecessor for like four times the amount. <laughs> I don't know that anybody did. Buyer, buyer beware. Okay. Seiko well, so comes out with is- a, they come out with a limited edition uh, of something that they've got for like around the four grand price point. Just hold up. Just wait. <laughs> approximately three years right and then boom <laughs> normal priced non-limited edition it'll be out it'll be there waiting for you or it'll be on the waiting list one of the two the only thing i'll say about that is you're completely correct about the sla 033 i know that they've got two of those still at rmp two of the more expensive ones now the same two they got originally yeah the same ones they got last year uh <laughs> What was the the what was it the SLA was it zero one seven zero one okay so that was the sixty two Moss the very first one they did yeah that one nobody like like Matt at Richter and Phillips was telling us he's only ever seen one of those and it was on a Seiko executive's wrist at an event and that one was like a one for one copy and I think that one even had a high beat movement in it like that one I think that one was. I think it was the Adel 35. I don't think it was, I don't remember if it was high beat or not, but yeah, definitely that one was more sized like the original yeah. and the bezel's different than my kind of re- reincarnation. It looks right. more one for one. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that, oh, I get why that one's a little bit more expensive. Yeah. But the, the Willard that didn't really sell that well, like why they came out and that one just came out last year. Like yeah, it's a cool that's... watch, but like <sighs> kind of a slap. I mean, I, like, it's bought that one. it is a bit now. Now the rubber strap on that is actually really good, but you still don't get a bracelet for forty two hundred bucks. You don't get a bracelet, um, like that yeah. just blows my mind a little bit. That watch is solely for Seiko connoisseur. Some guy off the street is never going to come in there and spend that kind of money on that watch unless he does, unless he really knows what's like up with that. Yeah, one hundred percent. What I will say, the interesting thing though, is having tried on the new SPB, whatever the gray number is. Um, and the, um, the new baby Willard, or as some of us in our red bar group are calling it the beluga, because it does, if you look a little bit sideways, it does <laughs> kind of like the, the bay, a beluga whale's head. He's not wrong. Um, no. it doesn't look like that. Um, I think given what I currently own, I think I'd go for the baby, the baby Willard of the two, cause they're roughly the same price point. I think I'd get the black version of the baby Willard just because it was a unique case shape. It was, it wore really well. Um, and it had like, it just, it had a lot of character to it. Not that the new 62 Moss one doesn't, like I said, I really want to see that blue one before I make any type of a decision. And these are all hypothetical anyways, but like given the choice <laughs> of those two today 
if I was going to buy one, it was going to be the baby Willard. Cause like that thing was really cool. See, yeah. I, I, when I, when I went through this, um, thought process, I really, really like that blue Ellie, uh, like the 62 Moss uh, re-edition. Um, I love, I've kind of got a soft spot for the fact that the second hand is, is that gold, you know, it's that, that contrasting uh, color. I think that's pretty slick. Um, even the small things, I mean, drilled lugs. Hey, that's pretty, pretty yeah. sharp. You know, that that's, that's a big bonus in my book. Um, the Willard's cool, but I, I think, and it doesn't grab me enough. Uh, if if I want, and I realize, yeah, it is a, a different case shape than just your your standard, you know, cushion sort of of case. But if I wanted to indulge something like that, honestly, I think I'd go way off the wall and get the um, gold color uh, turtle, um, and, and just like one of the strap code <laughs> like gold watches, and just go full like warlord. Uh, just like a, a total <laughs> mess around watch, like something that's not serious at all. Um, yeah, I'd either do that or I'd go for a, like a Doxa 300T. Yeah, you like the Doxas, but the they're they're very they are affordable in this rate. But like the the Willard's what 1200 MSRP, and the Doxas are like 1890. Yeah, there yeah. is a bit yeah. of a there. There's well, a whole and, Seiko Turtles worth of gap there. Well, <laughs> and, and the the whole fact is you can actually go and see the, the Seikos, whereas with the docks, yeah. you have to hunt down somebody um, that has one. So, you know, either go to, uh, you know, hit up your red bar friends or go to a local dive shop, which I, I suppose they can still operate now. Cause I mean, divers have masks, right? I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, yeah that's how that works. They're breathing their own air. It's in the can. So yeah. buzz, you don't have to go far because I did pick up as Doxa sub 200, which isn't exactly a Doxa and was somewhat controversial, but I've got one. So you can see that one whenever you want. Awesome. <laughs> All right, I, I will take you up on that. Um, well, well, Zach was uh, was saying that he really liked the uh, two hundred. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like it. I I think there's there's. I mean, if I compare it to my SPB one four seven, the SPB one four seven blows it out of the water. It has better loom. It's just better. I, I don't want to knock it too much because the docks has a really interesting case. The sub 200 has an interesting case shape. Well, not, I mean, it kind of looks like an Amiga, but it, it just, it's different uh, from what they've done before. Um, has a real cool vintage vibe. Um, I think they kind of missed some things in terms of looming the bezel, which is like semi non-existent. The, the application on the hands is brighter than the application on the, um, the, the indices so it's kind of that's kind of a disappointment but otherwise I, I can kind of I, I look all I look past that as long as you you know that going in mm -hmm. it's a beautiful watch so like I enjoy it for those reasons but uh, my new SPB I think you know for the same money uh, much better watch higher power reserve um, just 
better executed, more features. Um, the, you know, the higher range of Doxa doesn't exactly fit my wrist, but, um, you know, I don't know. But I, 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 you know, it's a keeper for me. I, I like it. It's, it's, it's a pretty watch. It's pretty cool. Yeah, well, it's funny. It's funny um, how they don't have, you know, brick and mortar. They're not. They're not really around, and yet you can't find many used doxas for sale. And when they are, uh-huh. they're the same damn price as buying it new. I mean, this is like this, you know, crazy. Yeah crazy uh market dynamic um so in that case it's uh it's almost risk risk free you know (laughs) yeah i mean definitely yeah i mean um watches uh tend to fund other watches which is the cool thing about this hobby yeah (laughs) definitely (laughs) cars right yeah so i mean so you're you're. We've talked about this a little bit before, Rick. You're two thirds of way from your Grand Seiko collection. Mm-hmm. So what do you have your eye on? We've talked, and I know I know you you've you've willingly you know agreed to kind of write about the pursuit of this and your idea behind this on our website, uh, zeitswatches.com. So you know, be on the lookout for one a couple of reviews of some Cincinnati Watchco watches at some point here when we have when we get our hands on some more prototypes. But two, Rick has agreed to uh, contribute an article about his pursuit of his three-watch Grand Seiko collection. So he is now officially two-thirds of the way there. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that and about what you think your last piece is going to be? Yeah, so, you know, Grand Seiko, for me, um, and really I think a lot of people should think about this too, is they're the kind of the first step into luxury. So, you know, I'm not a super rich guy. Um, and really the first Grand Seiko piece I ever purchased was what I would consider my first quote unquote luxury piece. Um, some could argue that it's not or that it is, but for me it was very luxury. And that was the SBGA 283. It's a spring drive model, uh, 9R65 movement. Um, you know, really kind of classically, it looks like a classic grand shape Seiko. I mean, like to me, it almost, from across the room, if you don't know anything about any of this stuff, it looks almost, at far examination, a regular Seiko watch. Like it is invisible. And that is what I love about it. It is so invisible. And then it's not until you get up close to it and you look at the details you look at the finishing, you look at the hands, you look at the indices, you look at the sub, subtle sunburst on it and the amazing movement once you learn about spring drive. I mean, just fantastic. So anyway, that is in the heritage collection of Grand Seiko and is the cheapest of the spring drives you can get in the heritage collection of Grand Seiko. It's one so, I eye on too. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad I stole it from you yes. before I did. Um, so I, I walked in, this was like sometime, you know, I don't know, I think it was, it was last December and I knew I wanted to get a Grand Seiko and it would, you know, for me, it was up in the air and I was just like, man, I'm getting one. And this, this was before I even had the thought in my mind. I just like went into Richter and I was like, I'm buying a Grand Seiko today. I don't know which one I'm buying, but I'm getting one. And, you know, and I, and I had also in my mind a Rolex OP at the same time. So I was just like, you know what, we'll see if I feel like flopping it down for the OP. 
but I really want to look at the Grand Seikos because I've, you know, I've been a fan of Seiko for the longest time. I was like, I got to have a Grand Seiko in my collection. So I looked at that one. I looked at the OP and I was just like, you know, spring drive. It's just so unique. Uh, you know, the, the sweep of the second, I, I got to get it. So I, I got that one. And, and earlier I, I had seen this uh, sports model of the 9F, the SBGV243, and I think there was a limited edition that had a blue dial previously that released to that model. Um, I forget which watch review channel. And then later I saw, I think, a watch of Watches and Wonders in Miami. Um, and I was blown away by it, and I didn't get it. And then a certain um, uh, publication that starts with uh, H and ends in E says it was good, and they became impossible to find. <laughs> And so it's kind of like been like something I've been aspirationally looking for, but never really believing I was going to be able to get it anything but maybe secondhand, you know. And then I, I found the in the sports collection, the uh, SBGV243, and I like the black. I know a certain reviewer from that brand liked the gray one, but to me, this is a sports watch. The gray one kind of like dressed it up. I, I like the black and yellow. It just seemed sportier to me. It's a real aggressive looking watch. So that that's where things came together for me. It's like, okay, I've got an entry level heritage collection in spring drive. I've got a entry level also in the sports collection, nine F uh, courts. So the last step would be an elegant elegance collection watch, which speaks directly to my wrist size and that's the uh, SBG W231, which has a 9S64 uh, hand-wound movement. It's 37.3 millimeters. It's right up my alley. I mean, so, like, if they're still selling that in a reasonable amount of time, I'm definitely going to buy it. And really, I have a somewhat of a sense of urgency, given recent Grand Seiko releases, that the prices that I've paid for these watches are not going to be available anymore. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and I, you know, it's just, I'm like, I'm freaking out about it. I was like, I hope they do not discontinue the two, three, one, because the next one that they're going to offer is going to be, you know, you know, the way Evan's rolling. So like, <laughs> um, I guess. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I have kids, so, you know, that automatically like knocks me down a peg or two in terms of budget. Um, but yeah, so that's the, the kind of the basis of the collection is the entry level of everything that Grand Seiko sells in every different movement type in each different collection. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, kind of the goal and and i you know curl up a little bit when i say entry level because you know anything you get in grand seiko is going to be probably the best polished best looking dial around or at least very equivalent to some brands that charge quite a bit more yeah yeah especially like you said in the price point i don't think anything comes close to the finishing and the dial quality that grand seiko offers mm -hmm. At least as it stands right now, because like, and we were talking about this earlier at uh, Richter and Phillips um, about how Seiko and Grand Seiko are pushing upstream. Um, so yeah, you're definitely right to like try and jump on the train as fast as possible when it comes to picking up those watches, because 
I think they're, at least in my opinion, I think they're going to, like, eventually push upstream enough until demand starts to settle down for it, and then they'll figure out their top-end price point. Um, you know, I just hope it stops earlier rather than later on that that front. Well, I just got to think back at the time. If my um, my original purchase, the SVGA 283, was $5,000, like their latest seasons released, which is the same case, just a different dial and handset, yeah. that was $5,000. I'm gonna just go on Rolex then. Yeah, which is which is right. making me nervous for the brand, you know, because it's kind of like what they always were was like the best value you could possibly get. I yeah. think for the money in terms of hand finishing and in terms of the attention to detail they put into their watches, and then you know if if they're gonna creep up into Rolex price range, then I, I don't know. I mean, and arguably. It's possibly worth it, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, they they haven't yet held the same kind of value that Rolex does long term. Well, that's yeah. the problem. And, and I don't think it has anything to do with the quality of the product by any means. It just has to do more with the, I'll use air quotes here, but brand equity, if you will. Like, a lot of us who listen to this podcast are are very into watches probably even more so than they are into whiskey, even though that's the first word in the title. But, you know, it, Grand Seiko was very much that kind of, that brand that's in the know. Like, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're a watcher like us, like you know what Grand Seiko is, you know what makes it special. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've started to see, it, it, it's, I don't want to say it's odd, but like I can remember back before COVID happened, you know, I'd, I, I work a couple blocks away from Richter and Phillips. I go up there and hang out with our buddy, Blake, the enabler and just see what they mm -hmm. had in, in the case. And I have seen people come in who aren't talking about other watches who aren't talking like, they say, Oh, that's, that's cool. Can I see that? And they walk out with a grand sake. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's starting to, I think some of their designs are having an appeal to folks who aren't nerds like we are, but it for a very long time is very much a, a watch guy's watch. Like somebody's like, Oh, Oh, I got on a great, uh, like, Oh, you, you know, you know, okay. Yeah. We can go into this. Um, but you know, that I don't think the brand equity is there yet to be quite going head to head with Rolex, the product in finishing a hundred percent, like it blows some of the stuff that Rolex is doing from a movement perspective out of the water. Like, don't get me wrong. Like mm -hmm. spring drive is unbelievable, but I just think from, it gets the cred from the watch nerds. I just don't know that the general public is quite there yet. And you're right, Evan. I think they're going to eventually get to the point where like people are going to, people who don't know, be like, wait, that's like, that's a Seiko. Why is that one that expensive? Like, and then when you're yeah. having to explain why it's that expensive and what makes it special, you're losing that part. <laughs> like, whereas to the four of us, we go in and we see, you know, it's priced probably in fairness where it should be relative to its quality, the materials that are in it, the hand finish, yeah. the polishing, the movement technology, all of those things. It's priced probably closer to where it actually should be. And it's still probably a good value. But, but you know, Blake's not explaining that to the four of us. He knows we know that. Yeah. yeah. The, uh -huh. Joe off the street doesn't know that. He has to explain why this Seiko on this side of the case is 10 times as expensive as the Seiko on that side of the case. Um, so I think yeah. like that's, that'll be interesting to see how they handle that as they move further up market. <laughs> yeah. I got to believe the average Joe trying to understand like, well, this spring drive has like a anti or a magnetic 
braking system for a flywheel that's driven off a <laughs> off a mainspring, you know, sure. I mean, that's regulated by a quartz crystal yeah, that's I mean, been, I've been told for three months. I mean, they just don't, you know. <laughs> people at RMP that some of the customers who walk in want to know how often they have to change the battery on their Rolex. And they <laughs> haven't sold oyster quartzes in quite some time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the average yeah, yeah. off the street, not going to have any clue about that. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this is a very unique hobby. This is a, this is something that we are into and all of our other listener are very into this, but um, like it's, I mean, they're, they're, they're beautiful watches. And I think, I think people are starting to recognize it, but again, and, and to be honest, it's funny. We, we kind of joked that, I don't know if, if, if you want a certain one, do you want to try to go back and get the, the double logo, like a Seiko with the grand Seiko underneath, because that's kind of cool. Like I get why they changed that. And it's because mm -hmm. when people see Seiko grand Seiko, they're like, well, this is just a Seiko. Why is this one $4,000 and that one's 600 bucks? Like what's, what's the deal here? Like I get yeah. why they tried to make that just grand Seiko. And then that's it because they're trying to distinguish the two because of the quality of that piece. Not to say that even the $600 Seiko isn't a phenomenal watch for the money. Cause it is like, that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of the whole point. Like, like, like Rick, you put it, you put it perfectly. They have a watch for anybody, regardless of what you're looking for. Like they have stuff from your, your quartz. They have kinetic, they have some solar, like they have everything. Like they, they have it all. I mean, and if you want to like even higher than grand Seiko, you have the Crator models, which are unbelievable. But nobody mm -hmm. knows what those are. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what those are. I just know that they yeah. exist and they're very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I um I just hope that all the rising prices will make my entry level purchases seem really smart ten to twenty years from now. <laughs> um I mean, how do you guys feel about that over i mean i guess you kind of already said it but i just maybe it isn't something we should worry about that they're raising their prices because at the end of the day i mean like for them to do their zarat the, the zaratsu polishing they're doing um means someone's training for years i mean there's someone training for years just to do their handsets i i don't know how that compares to rolex because i don't spend as much time thinking about rolex right now as i do i mean Perhaps have they always been underpriced? I mean, is that is that maybe something we should consider also? I mean, have they have they always been underpriced? I don't know. I mean, I, I looked at the OP versus my my Grand Seiko that I originally bought, and it was literally what like like two thousand dollars less or something like that, and it didn't look like a two thousand dollar less watch. Absolutely. So, so at I all. think, and I've heard this argued elsewhere. I don't remember where. So if you feel like adding us, we've always said don't add us, but like, go ahead. I can't remember who said it, but somebody went back and looked and I think the original, so the watch you just bought, Rick, the one that was, that inspired it, the 62 Moss way back in the day. I think if you looked at that dive watch relative to a Submariner, they were within, I think it was less than a hundred dollars of each other. Now, granted in 1960, whatever money, Within dollars, yeah. that could be a pretty wide gulf, but they were reasonably priced. And then they say, if you look at it, the evolution of the Seiko dive watch and the Rolex dive watch 
the technology kept improving, but the prices, Rolex kept going like this and Seiko stayed relatively affordable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's just now they're starting to catch up to where they probably should have been for what they've been doing. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it's one of those things where I think they've always been underpriced except way back when these things were like new technology, if you will. I guess when I think of spring drive, that took them something like 20, 25 years to come up with and perfect. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much time Rolex is putting into their movements, but you know, that movement is like a miracle really. I mean, you know, yeah. mine's running something like plus one every seven days. I mean, they, they, they list on their website, like plus, plus one or minus plus or minus one a day. And I'm getting like, plus or minus i'm getting plus one at every seven days i mean it's amazing um yeah. you know the 9f that i have like plus or minus 10 seconds a year this is like crazy stuff you know and yet you can walk in and get the most entry level 9f for like 2200 bucks i think is their most entry level model and it still has that amazing polishing it still has like a movement that's quartz, but decorated, adjustable for the drift of a quartz movement. You know, it has a has an adjustment. I mean, it's like a 40-year watch, a 40-year quartz watch, which plus or minus 10 seconds a year with perfect polishing, perfect finishing for 2200 bucks. That's like nuts. I don't know what the, you know, I mean, it's just it's just crazy um, what they're offering. Yeah, it's, it's really as, as good as you get until you decide to go the whole atomic clock route and, you know, national institutes, uh, <laughs> standards, uh, stuff before you really go off the deep end. Right. The, the immaculate constant movement sweep of the spring drive is, is a treat. Uh, in just, if you're listening and you haven't seen one of them move, uh, seek it out. It's it's gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. it's really it's in, almost impossible to describe. It, it's darn cool. Yeah, and like if we're talking movements and like like you said, Rick, like the spring drive is an amazing piece of technology. Um, if you compare that to like what Rolex has been doing, I mean, for crying out loud, the 3135 that's in the sub, you know, that's a movement that's been around for like, I don't know, 20 plus years, I think at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Rolex, like, of course, like coming in September, hopefully we'll see a bunch of movement upgrades after however long. Um, But I mean, when you look at those, it's like, it's almost like if you're going solely for just like a watch as like a thing you're going to wear, you don't really care about the brand, whatever. And you just want it as a tool to tell time, yada, yada. It's almost like a no brainer. They should go for the grand Seiko. Um, but like, like we said, like earlier, you know, Rolex just has that brand prestige. Um, and there's just something about it that like people are drawn to um, versus if you just look at it, you know, specs alone, grand Seiko is without a doubt the way you should absolutely be going. And that comes to a lot of watch brands also. Um, I just think, unfortunately, it hasn't took off or hasn't been around long enough to take off like Rolex has in the past few years. Well, one of the the things that, um, you know, because it's really easy to to be the 
you know, heard there are people only buy Rolex because of the name, right? It's, it's really easy to be, to, to hold that sort of an opinion. One of the things that I like, even though I'm not buying one anytime soon, is all of these stories uh, associated with, with Rolex, right? I mean, even though uh, uh, Edmund Hillary wasn't actually wearing an Explorer, when he summited Everest, right? Everybody associates those two. Um, <laughs> the the GMT master and you know the Jet Age and um, you know travel across the Atlantic, right? Uh, the the fact that so many of their lines have these very romantic beginnings, uh, you know, and and reasons of being, uh, I think, really helps make uh, a a marketer at Rolex have like the easiest job in the world. Right. Um, And (laughs) I, Oh yeah. And I'm saying none of this in the traction of Rolex either. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't think any of us are. (laughs) Yeah. But that's one thing. And and you know what? Grand Seiko is going to raise their prices and we've got this magical thing called called a market the market will bear it or the market will not because nobody forces anyone to purchase a watch or any other good for that matter nobody forces someone to sell it um so we'll we'll see what what happens with the prices i think seiko ultimately i mean and maybe they haven't played this up enough they they do have such an important part of watch history they came up with the quartz movement and they nearly destroyed all the brands we're talking about. <laughs> they kind of did. I mean, yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's why like, they, you know, started the same way as they, they almost destroyed the Swiss watch industry. So the thing is, I mean, from my perspective, you know, especially from a, you know, somebody that generally will go towards mechanical all the time. Um, but not to say there aren't quartz pieces in my collection, obviously this nine F, but you know, other ones, so I don't mind quartz that much, but Seiko really, <laughs> Seiko does have probably the one of the most important parts of watch history in their background. And that is making a watch that everybody in the world can afford that is incredibly accurate and inexpensive. I mean, in that, that that's like kind of the lineage that they have that I think is kind of like a, it's a detractor and a plus at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but at the same day, it's like, man, they they really figured the tech out long before a lot other people did. So it's 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 the coolest part of the history, which is why I think more watch collectors really need to be thinking about 9F, because like if anything's right about growing, owning a Grand Seiko, it's owning a 9F because they <laughs> they were the ones that championed the quartz movement. Yeah. You know, if you're going to have a high end quartz movement watch, it might as well be a Grand Seiko. It does make sense. I'd never really yeah. thought about it that way. It's almost like buying a dive watch as a Submariner because the Submariner is the dive watch. So if you're going to buy a quartz watch, you might as well go Grand Seiko because they are the quartz watch. Uh-huh. Absolutely. But you don't see them playing it that way, really. No, they, they haven't caught yeah. on to the marketing aspect yet, but I think they might. The, <laughs> the <years ago. laughs> the thing about it, too, is those, those movements weren't cheap originally. I think that's no. the thing that everybody forgets is like when the quartz movement came out, like we talk about the the pulsar that um, Roger Moore wore in uh, what 
I should know this. Um, whichever one he, like, uh, why can't I remember? But essentially he had on a Pulsar Quartz, the LED one that Hamilton just kind of essentially did an homage to um, yeah. and had to pull at the time. I mean, like that watch wasn't cheap. All the Seikos that James Bond wore as Roger, like when Roger Moore played him, weren't cheap watches. You know, Quartz, no. Quartz eventually became more accessible, but originally like it was latest technology, not inexpensive. So mm-hmm. I mean, we think of, yeah. we th- you know, you know th- that whole evolution has changed since the quote unquote Quartz crisis. I mean, it was the latest technology, the most accurate at the time. And I mean, yes, you needed to replace a battery, but in fairness, you either have to wear your automatic watch, you know, or wind a manual on watch every so often or else it stops running. So, um, I mean, the the thing that I find absolutely kind of really funny about that is thinking about it. So like as a watch collector, now this is going to be a really weird point, but as a watch collector now, what do I do when one of my watches that I want to wear isn't running? What's the first thing I grab? Your iPhone. Cell phone to check the time. In, In 1975, what would you have done? You would have called. You would have called a phone number to to get the time. I mean, and that's that 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 was groundbreaking. Yeah, that whole that whole philosophy was just that was just like amazing to people. Like, holy crap, this is like plus or minus fifteen seconds a month. Holy shit! Yeah, (laughs) like that that is like an amazing achievement. I do remember time and temperature because I can remember as a kid. I was allowed to wear shorts to school in the summer or like, you know, after spring break, if I called time and temperature before I went to school and it was above 60 degrees (laughs) in the temperature, I was always wondering why they told me the time too, but now I get it. (laughs) Well, and you, you got to think back in the time prior to courts and prior to the digital revolution we've had, you know, in the last 20 years, 30 years, however you want to call it, you know, let's go back to the 70s, 60s, and you had to call that phone number for an average man, an average man's watch would have been incredibly inaccurate. I mean, you know, it would have been like plus or minus 30 a day. Yeah. You know, I mean, it like, so for, for a quartz, a quartz movement to come out that's plus or minus 15 a month, that was just like such groundbreaking. So I guess, you know, I, I, I agree that Rolex has some, it's interesting, not interesting, but groundbreaking points in, in, in history with their oyster cases, the you know, waterproof watches, everything that they have done is, is undeniable. Um, but Seiko made, um, you know, accurate timekeeping possible for regular people. Yeah. Really and that's what's cool about it. That's, that's really kind of what's cool about it. Well, Rick, it was really a pleasure hanging out with you again and talking watches. Uh, we're really excited to see what comes out from Cincinnati Watch Company. We're uh, obviously, if you if you've made it this far, you're one of the watch nerd listeners. If you haven't made it this far, you know you're you're one of the people who tuned in to hear about the Union Terminal stuff, which goes live <laughs> tomorrow, Wednesday, the twenty second. Go out, donate, get a chance to win the last Union Terminal watch. It's a pretty, it's a pretty great cause. It's it, definitely here locally in Cincinnati. If you're a local listener, you know, go out there and look. Everybody should know what that is. Uh, keep an eye out for the Divers Edition and the new Cincinnatus Field watches when they come out. And then uh, be sure to check out Zeit's watches. There's a couple of new articles out there. I wrote a first take. Uh, speaking of Seiko movements of the Notice Retrospect Two, 
which I, which I like quite a bit. There's going to be a, another week on the wrist coming up for that soon. We'll have reviews of Rick's watches uh, coming out, a review from Wick on Rick on Seiko watches. Uh, there's going to be some fun mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, keep an eye out and uh, we'll see y'all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We are enthusiasts, not experts, so don't at us. But you can find us on Instagram at whiskey.and.watches.podcast. Also, visit our website at zeitswatches.com. Zeitz is spelled Z-E-I-T-Z. 